Here we are in our Acts series. We are in episode number 14, um, which is Acts chapter 12. And uh, I say episode because it may be helpful to think of this in like, a, you know, kind of a, a TV series thing. And if you do think of it that way, then this would be the season finale of season one. And the reason for that, the reason for that is the book of Acts does sort of naturally fall in two halves. There is kind of this first half of the book and then the second half of the book. And so the, the, the second half is about to see Paul as the main character. We've seen a little bit about his conversion. And, and the center of activity is going to be toward Antioch and Ephesus and all these other cities, finally ending with Paul in Rome. But the first part, it's all about the church in Jerusalem, and it's, about, it's been about Peter. And so this is the end of season one. And as the end of season one, as the season finale of season one, it features a showdown, a showdown between two powers. And so even from the title of the talk, you can see a praying people in an unstoppable kingdom. So there's going to be a bit of a clash, and we'll see how Peter slips out of the action. But maybe even before we get to that, when you see a title like an unstoppable kingdom and you think about a phrase like a showdown or a clash, maybe some of you sort of feel uncomfortable with that. And you you think, well, wait a minute, I don't don't want to think about Christianity in terms of an enemy or opposition or anything like that. I would rather just us talk about the happy stuff. You know, that just kind of love each other and, 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 you know, peace and joy. And let's talk about the good stuff. I don't want to talk about the fact that there's an enemy or that there's opposition or that there's sometimes a clash. I just don't want to think that way. Can we not focus on that? Well, as much as we'd like to avoid it, the truth is there is an enemy at work in God's world. Uh, in fact, the word Satan is not so much a proper name in the scripture as much as it is just a, a descriptive. It's the adversary, the one who opposes God. And when you think about evil itself, and we alluded to this a little bit last week, we understand that there is evil at work within the world. And maybe some of us don't have a problem thinking about evil when you think of it uh, on a macro level, and you think about systemic evil or systems of evil or systematic evil. Uh, in the first service, you know, Dr. Stephen Todd and Linda were here. They, they've spent 11 summers working in Rwanda in different refugee camps. And some of you are familiar with the atrocities and the hardships. And you think of, you know what? We've seen systematic evil. I'm looking at Muluk and Lillian who are from Burkina Faso. And, they, you know, you've seen different parts of the world where you say, you know what? There's, there are, there's a systematic evil that is oppressing and keeping people down. And, and, and we, we would say there's something behind those systems that is that is beyond the individuals. It's, there's an enemy, an adversary of God at work. The scriptures don't seem too concerned with explaining to us all the details about the origin of evil in God's world. It sort of assumes it. In fact, the storyteller in the book of Genesis tells us the story about God creating a good world, and then he says, and then the adversary came in the form of a serpent and came to Eve. And you're saying, wait a minute, what? Serpent? Who? Enemy? Where? Where was the chapter on that stuff? Where did this come from? And yes, we know a little bit about how our own human free will sort of participated with that evil and and the infection began to spread in God's world. But the scripture sort of takes it as a given. Somehow within God's good world, there is an enemy at work. And we see it, when we, again, when we think about systematic evils and all that, so we can see there's something darker behind it. But the truth is, you see it even in your own heart, don't you? You see some sort of an infection at work when you think about your own responses towards other people, and you think, yeah, what is that in me? 
Uh, earlier this week, I was in line uh, at a fast food place for breakfast. I um, don't often eat fast food for breakfast, but I, I had class every day this week down at Fuller Seminary, and I needed to get down quickly, and we started at 8.30, and so I was often running behind, and so, and so I was in line, and already going to be late for, for class, and, uh, and this guy pulls up beside me and then cuts ahead of me, just like that, and I was just so stunned by it that I just sort of, I just kind of did this, I was like... What just happened? And I looked at the car. Uh, there's, a, there, you know, there's another line that merges this way, but there's definitely no line that merges this way. And I look at these guys, and they're like, well, we don't know what just happened. <laughs> and, and then the guy that, that cut me off like, rolls down his window and looks back and yells. He goes, yeah, you bet your blankety-blank that I just did that. You know? And I, just, I was like, evil rose up within my heart in that moment. You know? <laughs> Something rose up within me. To want to react to that, but I didn't, you know, thank God, be praised. <laughs> but if you're looking for evidence of something against, working against God's purposes in the world, you don't have to look much further than our own heart, that, that's there. So we say, okay, Glenn, all right, great. So we don't have the luxury of saying that there's no enemy, that, that we don't have the luxury of saying there's no, nothing that's opposed to God, okay. And some of us, okay, so we're corrected from that error, but then we swing over to this other side and say, you know what? I know who the enemy is, and his name is dot, dot, dot. And you fill in the blank of a certain, I don't know, person who holds a particular political office or whatever, and you've identified who the enemy is. And the other mistake, if the one mistake is to not believe that there's an adversary of God in the world, the other mistake is to say that adversary is a flesh and blood human being and it's this person and it's this thing and it's this, you know. This week we had a bit of a, a, a tussle over chicken sandwiches. And, uh, and, 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 you know, from a citizenship standpoint, I understand people wanting to have their civil, use their civil liberties and express their, you know, and, and as a fellow citizen, great. We should all use our voice in different ways. Um, I, I think as a pastor, where I got concerned is where I saw people kind of doing that and equating with it with taking a stand for Christ. And so people said, look, listen, we've got to take a stand for Christ, and so we will eat, you know, chicken sandwiches. Um, <laughs> which, which in itself sounds funny. Um, but, it, but it was very serious to some people. This is our way of taking a stand. I, I just want to challenge you to think a little bit that part of the way we work within God's world is different from the way that the enemy works within God's world. We use different ways. In Acts 12, we're about to see kind of on two sides. We're about to see Herod, King Herod and his way, and we're about to see King Jesus and his way. And they are very different ways. Turn with me to Acts 12, verse 1, and we'll read the first four verses together. About that time, King Herod began to harass some who belonged to the church. He had James, John's brother, killed with a sword. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he arrested Peter as well. Like every good politician, if that made him happy, well, doggone it, I'll do a little more, you know. He kills James, and now he says, okay, I'm gonna get, I'll get Peter too. And this happened during the festival of unleavened bread, and he put Peter in prison, handing him over to four squads of soldiers, 16 in all, who guarded him. And he planned to charge him publicly after the Passover. The way of Herod, and we'll see more evidence of this in Acts chapter 12, but the way of Herod is a way of violence. It's a way of power and control. 
Herod, this particular Herod, is the nephew of the Herod in the Gospels who had John the Baptist beheaded. This particular Herod is the grandson or two generations descended from Herod the Great right before the time of Christ. And, and sometime we can talk about this, but there's a sordid story of how Herod the Great became Herod the Great. <clears throat> he wasn't really a rightful heir to anything, and he, he worked his way through very manipulative schemes with, with Rome, made some, some pacts and alliances and all of that, but it also involved a lot of, um, how shall we say, eliminating the competition. Uh, Herod the Great got to his throne by executing a lot of people. Um, in fact, there's, there's a legend that says that even family members who opposed him, he uh, beheaded them. And so when you see then the, the Herod who kills the, the baby boys in Matthew's gospel, and then later on when you see a Herod Antipas who's, who beheads John the Baptist, you recognize that this Herod family has a long-standing tradition of power and control and violence. And the way of Herod is a way of squashing the competition. The way of Herod is a way of keeping people out, locking Peter up, beheading James. Incidentally, the difference here, it says James was killed with a sword. A few chapters earlier in Acts, we, we, we read the story of Stephen being stoned. Stoning is what religious officials do when your crime is a religious sort of crime, blasphemy. And so it was religious officials that did stoning. To kill someone with the sword is a political crime. It is for a political crime. It's to say, this person is a political threat to my throne, to my kingship, and so I'll execute them. You see, Christians now have all of a sudden not just be, have gone from being a religious deviant group, quote-unquote, to now being a subversive influence to where the king himself is unnerved by this, unsettled by this. He understands that Christians proclaim another king. They proclaim King Jesus, and so this Herod says, well, we can't have any of that. Let's kill these leaders. Let's lock up Peter. But if the way of Herod is the way of violence and control, then the way of King Jesus is the way of hospitality. Now, that sounds like a funny word, you know, doesn't it? Hospitality, is that like southern hospitality, like good old home cooking and you know, biscuits and gravy and sweet tea, you know? The word hospitality literally means to welcome the stranger, to welcome the person who is not like you. Herod sees a person who's not like him, these Jews who worship another king, and what does he do? He kills them, he arrests them, he's after them, he's threatened by them. Jesus, King Jesus, finds people who are not like him, the Samaritan, the Ethiopian eunuch, Cornelius the centurion, and welcomes them in. You see the difference? One is a way of exclusion and power moves and violence. The other is a way of inclusion and saying, come in, all may come. The way of Herod and the way of Jesus are, are coming to a head here at the season finale of Acts for season one. They're coming to a head here because Herod is saying, enough of this, I'm going to stop this, I'm going to put an end to this. So the question, as we've been studying the book of Acts, has always been, what do these stories tell us about what it means to be the people of God here and now? What can we learn from these stories that, that help us understand, okay, so this is what it means to be the people of God. So here are the followers of King Jesus, whose way is hospitality and generosity, and then here is King Herod, whose way is control and power. How do these Christians 
participate in Jesus' kingdom moving and advancing. Skip down with me, continue with me to verse 12. While Peter was held in prison, the church offered earnest prayer to God for him. And the night before Herod was going to bring Peter's case forward, Peter was asleep between two soldiers and bound with, with two chains, with soldiers guarding the prison entrance. Suddenly an angel from the Lord appeared to him and light shone in the prison cell. After nudging, this is Luke, this is classic Luke, by the way, Luke 2, remember Luke 2 in his Luke's gospel? Suddenly an angel appeared in the heavens and light shone all around them. This is like Luke's signature move here. If Luke was Steven Spielberg, this scene would make you think of that scene, okay? And light shone in the prison cell. After nudging Peter on his side to awaken him, the angel raised him up and said, you know, this is funny to me. Peter's in such a deep sleep that the light doesn't even wake him up. Angelic light appears and he's... The angel's got to nudge him. Dude, I'm here to set you free. Like, let's go. (laughs) Quick, get up. The chains fell from his wrists. And the angel continued, get dressed, put on your sandals. And Peter did as he was told. And the angel said, put on your coat and follow me. Peter begins to follow the angel and eventually the angel suddenly disappears. How does the church participate in Jesus' kingdom right here? Herod's got him locked up. What does the church do? They pray. We participate in the kingdom of God through prayer. We participate in the kingdom of God through prayer. Now listen, if you're like me, you're probably thinking, yeah, but it's you know, prayer. I mean, we've got to do something else too, right? I mean, it's, it's prayer. I mean, I mean, that's cute, Glenn. That's cute, prayer. Christians pray. That's cute. You pray. We'll actually go change the world. I want you to think about the power of what it means to actually pray. To really call on Jesus' name. My kids, sometimes when they have a little squabble amongst themselves uh, over whose toy is whose or whatever, very often they don't, not surprisingly, they don't call Holly and I to intervene. It's the strangest thing. I don't know why. They don't just go to us. What they do is they try to sort it out amongst themselves, but only their version of sorting it out involves sometimes grabbing and sometimes hitting. Um, yes, my kids have a sinful nature just like your kids do. And, uh, and, and so, so very often when we show up on the scene, there's already someone crying. You know, someone's already been hit. Someone's already got, you know, what happened here? Well, she took this thing. Well, who's this? Thing? Well, I was playing with it first. Well, it's mine though. Mom bought it for me, you know. Okay, okay, wait. And after we try to sort it out, eventually Holly or I will say something like, well, honey, if they do that, just come talk to me. Come talk to me about it. Okay, so next time if they do something, who do you talk to? Talk to you about it. Okay, now, I want to say that, oh, silly kids. But then I think that this is exactly how we are, aren't we? The adversary, through others maybe, we feel the press against our lives and we think, well, doggone it, I'm going to take a stand against this. I'm going to do this and I'm going to reach and I'm going to grab and I'm going to say mine and I'm going to say that's mine and this is my turf and my turf and how dare you and you can't. And And all the while our Father in Heaven is saying, anybody going to talk to me about this? Right? Have you ever called um, <laughs> customer service? <laughs> Trying to resolve an issue? <laughs> Brian Hare, who comes to the night, like he told me, he said, my dad taught me, he said, never call customer service if you want help. Call sales. 
because sales knows how to bend the rules, you know, or whatever, because they want to get you, you know. Well, if you've ever had the experience, you call customer service or you call sales and you're trying to get it, you know, have this thing resolved and they're not able to help you. And finally, you know, you get frustrated and you say, you know, can I speak to someone in charge here? Right? You ever got, can I, listen, I don't mean to be offensive to you, but can I talk to someone who's got the authority to change this right here, right? And some of you are like, amen, brother, I've been there, right? Isn't that a little bit like what the church is doing when they're praying? Because if you believe that Jesus Christ really is the king of the universe, who do you go to to talk about the opposition of the enemy? Do you think that you're fighting against flesh and blood and so you've got to grab and grasp and hold and attack and work and manipulate and angle and try to find because I've got to make it work? Or do you stop and you say, you know what? It kind of seems like Herod is against us, but Herod ain't in charge of this place. Herod's not ruling this place. You know who the king of this world is? Yeah, it's Jesus. And so Herod's kind of pushing us around right now, but we're going to go to Jesus about this. We're going to talk to the king about this. The ancient Hebrew prayer, the blessing over a meal, begins like this. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, the king of the universe. Think about that. For a tiny, itty-bitty people who kept being pushed around by Assyria and Egypt and Babylon and Rome, Every time they sit down for the meal, they say, Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe. My dad's bigger than your dad. <laughs> I mean, there's something about prayer that we forget. Prayer is how we participate in the kingdom of God. But we don't like to pray. We like other verbs about the kingdom of God. Our verbs about the kingdom of God are, We're going to build the kingdom. You heard that? We're going to build the kingdom. Do you know, nowhere in the scriptures are we instructed to build the kingdom. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians more accurately tells us to build for the kingdom. Do things now that carry over when the kingdom comes in fullness. But guess who builds the kingdom? The king. <laughs> so wait a minute, so I don't build the kingdom, no. Here's another one. Advance the kingdom. Do you know we don't advance the kingdom either? What? You don't, Jesus doesn't say, just, listen, you go and you advance the kingdom. No. He says, you go and you announce. Announce the kingdom. Announce that Jesus is the king. And so everybody who's been living their own way and living independently and living against this king needs to wake up and pay attention. The word for that is repent. We talked about that last week. But Jesus is the king. We announce the kingdom. We also anticipate the kingdom, and I, I preached several sermons on that, about what it means to live now as it will be then. Why we care about the poor in our city, why we, why we open dream centers, and why we have serving days, and why we do all of these different things is not because we're trying to fix a crisis. Really, at the heart of it, we're trying to live now like it will be then. We're trying to anticipate the kingdom that is coming. So we announce it, we anticipate it, but we participate in it by praying. We announce it, we anticipate it, we participate in it through prayer. And that's really, those other two could be sermons in and of themselves, but today's sermon is how we participate in the kingdom through prayer. Actually praying and saying, King Jesus, do something. <laughs> King Jesus, act. 
But I think what's remarkable about this, let's keep reading here in verse 12 to 14. This praying church, they're praying for Peter. And then verse 12. Realizing this, he made his way to Mary's house. Mary was John's mother. He was also known as Mark. And many believers had gathered there and were praying. And when Peter knocked at the outer gate, a female servant named Rhoda went to answer. Now this is a bit of comic relief, a little comic relief moment in the story. So Rhoda goes to answer the gate. She was so overcome with joy when she recognized Peter's voice that she doesn't open the gate. She's like, oh my God, oh my God, it's Peter, it's Peter, OMG, OMG. And she runs, and she runs back to her friends. You'll never believe who's at the gate, you know. And, 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 and then she tells them that, and, and this is what they say to her. Uh, it's not Peter. It's not Peter. Lord, set Peter free. Peter's at the gate. No, it's not Peter. Shh, be quiet. Well, <laughs> these people are praying, but they've got their fair share of doubt, wouldn't you say? I think that's encouraging to me. That's encouraging that part of being a praying people, a people that participate in the kingdom through prayer, it doesn't mean you don't doubt doesn't mean that you are free of doubt. Here is the church praying that God will deliver Peter. And then someone says, God's done it. And they say, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you're like, wait, wait. You don't believe what you're praying for? I, mean, I also think it's, it's, it's a beautiful gospel little vignette here that Rhoda is the one who is the first witness to this. In a world where women were not given dignity, let alone a servant girl, talk about socially being viewed as lower down on the rung. And yet, the dignity of this story is it's Rhoda who gets to see the miracle. It's, it's not unlike the gospel writers telling us that it was women who went and saw the tomb first. See, again, the way of Herod pushes people out, locks people up, kills people. The way of Jesus lifts people up. and says, okay, look, Rhoda, you, you, you get to be the witness of my work here just as the women were at the tomb. I, I think there's something just beautiful about that. Anyway, Rhoda, Rhoda comes and she says, listen, it's, the, it's true, it's Peter. And they're like, girl, you lost your mind, you know. And, she says, and Peter, meanwhile, is like, uh, excuse me, somebody, anybody, I just escaped from prison, don't want to be waiting outside the gate here. How about a little shelter, cover, you know. And, and they all come into the gate, they let him in, and then he tells them the story. They're like, this is amazing. We never doubted when we prayed, Peter. <laughs> We always knew God would come through. Anyway, the guard, it says then that Peter begins to, to duck out. And this is why it's kind of the end of season one. Because Peter now sort of fades away from the story. Perhaps because he's a wanted man. We don't know exactly. But he seems to sort of disappear a little bit, a little lower profile role. A Herod, in typical Herod fashion, finds out about what the guards have done. And, or that Peter escaped and Herod kills all the guards. And now Herod, he's kind of like that bad guy, the classic scene in the, in the TV show where the bad guy's been outfoxed by the good guy, and he's got to take it out on somebody, you know? You know, it's like when um, in Star Wars or whatever, when they escape and then Darth Vader starts to kill the, the other, his own guys because they're like, how could you let the rebel forces escape? You with me? No? Yes? Huh? Okay. So, so Herod's kind of in that moment. Herod's like, okay, who am I, who, who I going to get now? You know, who, who's, who's got it coming? He kills the guards. And then he remembers, oh yeah, the people in Tyre and Sidon, they've, there's been a little uprising there. Let's go squelch that. I got to squelch somebody, you know? So he goes down to Tyre and Sidon. These people are panicking and they decide they're going to appease him by saying that he's a god. So skip with me down to verse 21. 
On the scheduled day, Herod dressed himself in royal attire, seated himself on the throne, gave a speech to the people, and those assembled kept shouting over and over, this is a God's voice and not the voice of a mere human. Immediately an angel from the Lord struck Herod down because he didn't give the honor to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. And then Luke goes on, says, and God's word continued to grow and increase. That's an interesting juxtaposition of phrases, isn't it? Here is Herod, the king who's always trying to dress himself up. He wears royal clothes. He sits on a throne. He speaks to the people. King Jesus had his robes stripped off of him. King Jesus didn't go and sit on an earthly throne. King Jesus went to a rugged cross. King Herod's trying to lift himself up and God casts him down. King Jesus comes and lowers himself and God says his word continued to grow and increase. See, Jesus is the king of a kingdom that has no end. Jesus is the king of a kingdom that has no end. I think sometimes part of our fear and our anxiety and the reason we work and do these kinds of things sometimes is we want Christianity to be front and center of society. And listen, I, I under, again, wherever it concerns citizenship and voting and do all the things you're supposed to do, but, but at the end of the day, whether the church is in the center or the church is at the margins, the kingdom of God has no end. Whether we feel influential, whether we're the power brokers or whether we're not the power brokers, and chances are we won't be the power brokers, the confidence that you can have is that Jesus is the king of a kingdom that has no end. That, my friends, is something all of us need to really believe. Because then you won't think, as followers of Jesus, you won't think and operate from a place of fear. You know, we do really mean things when we're afraid. When you're afraid and you think your back's against the wall, you start doing really hateful things and mean things because you think it's survival. I got to die. We're going to... But what if Christians didn't act and operate out of a spirit of fear and insecurity, but out of a confidence that we belong to a king whose kingdom has no end, whose word cannot be stopped, whose word will not stop bearing fruit. This phrase here, grow and increase, is very Genesis-like. When God told Adam and Eve, look, be fruitful, multiply, increase upon the earth. And instead, they let sin increase upon the earth. But God kept speaking into his world, didn't he? God didn't abandon his world and say, whoops, sorry about that. God kept speaking into his world. And we read this this morning in Isaiah, but hear it again in Isaiah 55. Just as the rain and snow come down from the sky and don't return there without watering the earth, making it conceive and yield plants and providing seed to the sower and food to the eater, so is my word that comes from my mouth that does not return to me empty. Instead, it does what I want and accomplishes what I intend. God keeps speaking into His world and it keeps bearing fruit. And one day, the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you think Jesus' life that went into the ground like a seed will come up and bear fruit? Do you believe that it will? Yeah. 
Do you believe that Jesus' life, the very Word of God that was spoken, that entered, that came, that was sown into our world, do you believe that His Word, His life, will continue to abound in fruit throughout the world? Amen. I grew up in a country where Christians to this day are only 10 or 12% of the population. Muslims are about 40%. Buddhists and Hindus make up the rest. Here's Steve Hoffman works with different missions organizations. They're familiar with working in parts of the world where Christians are not in the center of power. But do you know what? The Word of God continues to grow and increase. The kingdom of God has no end. You're part of something here that's more stable, more secure, stronger, deeper, higher, wider than you could ever imagine. Don't live out of this panic fear of we've got to go do this and if they don't, you know, how do Just go. We, we turn instead to prayer because we say, God, it's your kingdom. You're the king of it. You're the one that's going to make it spread in advance. And so we turn to you in prayer. We turn to you in prayer. We turn to you in prayer. Let your word grow. Let your word increase. Let it flourish. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Last night, I don't know if you saw it, but Michael Phelps won his 18th gold medal. Sorry, spoiler alert. I know uh, uh, maybe you T-voted last night and we're going to watch it later today, but NBC was late on it anyway. Um, Anyway, um, it was a remarkable thing. And the final race was was the 4x100 medley relay. And Phelps swam the third, he was the third spot, and he was the, the, the butterfly, which is kind of his strong suit. Now all these guys on the team are pretty good. I think several of them meddled in, even in their own areas. But when Michael, when it was Michael's turn to go, he didn't have the lead. When they passed it off to him, he didn't have the lead. In fact, he was a little bit behind, I think, the swimmer from Japan. And in the first 50 meters, he's still behind. And then in the last 50 meters coming back, you had this thing of like, he's going to do it. This is what Michael does. And sure enough, toward the end, the last 25, he starts closing and he, he takes the lead. And he takes the lead at the critical moment so that when he touches, the next guy, the last guy, could jump. And if you look at the jump, the freestyle guy, our, our last guy, makes the, a perfect jump. A little bit, he gets a little bit farther because Michael had come in a little bit sooner. And then he just pulled away. And then it was over. The last 100 meters was like, okay, we got it. It's over. And in, in the interview after the whole thing, you know, they were asking kind of all the, uh, the, the other guys not named Michael Phelps. <laughs> they, said, <laughs> they, said, they said, sorry, uh, they said, what's it like to be Michael's teammate? You know, and they're like, oh, it's in- incredible. And I mean, like, you know, I mean, he's great, greatest swimmer ever, you know, like this. Just, and, and the captain, who's 30 years old, was like, I was just telling the rest of the team, you know, someday you're going to tell your kids that you swam with this guy. And they're like, I know, you know, it's amazing, you know. They're all good swimmers, but they had this confidence that they were going to do this because Michael was swimming with them. They were going to do this. It was going to happen. Can you imagine what it's like to say, I'm part of a kingdom that Jesus is building, that Jesus is bringing from heaven to earth. And sometimes it may look like all is going well and sometimes it may look like the enemy is against us. Sometimes it may look like we're in the center of power and sometimes it may look like we're pressed against the margins. Sometimes it may look like you're running free. Other times you may feel like the devil himself has got you locked up in prison. But you know what? You're part of a kingdom that will not lose. You belong to a king that does not lose. You win because he wins. His way His kingdom, His word. This is how we become praying people.
I was thinking this morning how perfect it is that the sermon is on being a prayerful people, praying people who are part of a kingdom that, that is unstoppable. On the very day that I'm going to announce to you our plans for New Life Downtown. Um, see, you're glad you didn't leave uh, early. <laughs> when Pastor Brady and I talked about New Life Downtown, we had two things that were at the, close to our heart about this. One was, what would happen if we provided another place? There are wonderful churches downtown. What if we provided another place for the people of God to begin to gather right here in the heart of our city? What would the Lord do? What if we live out the way of Jesus, the way of welcoming hospitality, and see what the Lord begins to do? The second thing was to create an environment that, that allows us to be personal and communal with one another. All the different meal groups that I've had a chance to visit have been so awesome to see some of that beginning to happen. And so part of our decision in making this move is we wanted to say, okay, look, it's hard to be a people of welcoming hospitality when we're already at capacity, when we're already full. It's hard, it's hard to make room. If, if it's like in the book of Acts where the Spirit continues to draw, quote-unquote, outsiders and make them family members, we've got to have some seats at the table for them. We've got to make seats at the table. And so after evaluating all the options, we looked at places that would require long-term leases and expensive build-outs, and we looked at other places that were a bit smaller, and we decided we need to go to a place that is a weekly rental, so it's low overhead. We can stay lean and mean, not mean, lean and, <laughs> lean and hospitable as a church, <laughs> but, but that allows us to, to kind of uh, to, to, to not grow out of it you know, in a few more months. And so we have settled on... Drum roll. <laughs> We're going to be meeting in one service, 10 a.m. service, starting August 26th at Palmer High School in their auditorium, just up the road from me. Um, this is a picture of the auditorium. It's, uh, it's uh, built in 1939. There's folding chairs with cushions on it. Um, it's, it's really nice. I mean, they've kept it up. You hear 1939, you think, uh-oh. No, but it's been, it's, it's been kept up really well. That's the balcony up there, which we won't use uh, uh, anytime soon, I don't think. Uh, it, it may be more of a nursing mother's sort of area with, with some screens around it and things like that. And then on the floor itself uh, seats 900, which I know is more than we need. But with about 200 here and about 200 in our 9 o'clock, uh, we thought, well, this will give us some room. But here's, I have a couple of requests of you. One... Don't lose the culture of personableness and of hospitality toward one another when we move in a bigger space. Keep that. Keep, keep on turning to each other and talking. Don't, don't do the kind of thing where you slip in a little late and find the seat toward, you know, and then just kind of worship and then get out of it. That's not what we've been about here. We've been sweaty together, for goodness sake, you know. <laughs> we've been sweaty and close to each other. Let's keep that, Okay. Uh, not sweaty so much, but close. Uh, yeah, let's stick together. That's great. And, 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 and secondly, secondly, let's be a people that carry the presence of God with us into this place. We've had the privilege of meeting in a beautiful room and the aesthetics speak to us of God's presence. We're going into a room that's a, it's a, it's a wonderful room we get to be the masterpieces of God's artwork. We get to be the, the carriers of his presence. We get to be the ones that come in and say, you know what? Your kingdom come, your will be done in Palmer as it is in heaven. In this high school as it is in heaven. Amen? And I, there's something spiritual about that. I mean, here we are talking about being a prayerful people. Here is kind of an embodied prayer. Walking into this place. and A, a lived out prayer. Um, 
next week we're going to begin. We have a few. I've told you we've um, we chose the lower weekly cost thing so we can keep costs low. We've got all of our weekly costs of running covered. We we do, however, have a little chunk that we'll need as a transition cost to help us buy things like either a trailer or a truck. We've got rolling cases that'll help us put all of our tubs for children's stuff in there. Uh, we've got a, a little bit of uh, audio stuff and, and visual stuff. And so next week we'll be we'll begin talking about how we can all sort of chip in and 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 carry this this load together to help us kind of make this move over. Um, but you can be thinking about that. You can be thinking about okay, what can we do to sort of to kind of help this uh, this this move happen. Um, but here's the biggest thing. Oh, and let me t- sorry before I say the biggest thing. Um, there there's going to be loads more room for kids ministry stuff too. So um, we'll use their their entire cafeteria is called Eagle Wing. It's a beautiful um, room full of windows and all this stuff. And and um, and so we'll have that whole room that we'll divide up into areas for toddlers all the way up to fifth grade. We'll be able to start our third through fifth grade thing. We'll have a classroom for babies. You know, we'll have we'll just have more space to be able to do some of that. Parking, I'll tell you about this uh, in the weeks to come as well, but if you're driving out and you want to see it, Palmer High School itself is on Platt and um, Nevada and, and Weber. The entrance is really on the Nevada and Platt side. Parking is just a block up from that on Bijou and uh, Nevada or Bijou and Weber either side. It's the, it's the tennis court parking, um, if you're familiar with that. But here's the biggest thing with all of this. I believe that the Lord has really guided us several weeks with this Acts series landing on subjects that are like, wow, that was kind of timely, you know? Uh, you know, remember the week after the fires, we talked about being a scattered people, and we're like, geez, that's kind of weird. Um, and here we are talking about being a praying people who are part of an unstoppable kingdom two weeks, three weeks before we make a move. I wonder if for these next 21 days, if you can commit to maybe picking a day, maybe you want to pick a few days and fast, maybe it's one day a week, but... Let's be prayerful about this together because don't imagine for a second that, that when Jesus begins multiplying and increasing his, the reach of his word that, 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 that an adversary starts applauding it. Don't believe that for a moment. And we don't have to live in fear of an enemy, but there's, a, but there's a way that we participate in God's kingdom coming through our prayer and saying, God, keep back the work of the enemy. God, keep back any attack against any of us. Lord, uh, make the way straight for you to continue to come. Pave the way, open doors for others to be drawn in. Does that make sense? And so would you take the next 21 days and commit to maybe you pick a few days again, maybe one day a week for the next three weeks, maybe a few days in a row, however it works for you, and say, you know, I'll even fast. I'll fast a meal. And it's a way of saying, I'm setting this aside to really focus in and participate in Jesus' work of bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen.